Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and you guys, this is such a cool conversation we're going to have today. I'm being joined by Gail Golden and Susan Patterson, and they have developed, put together, created an amazing program called the AKC Tufts Whelping Program, in which they are providing information to veterinary students about dog breeders. Hello, what we've all been wanting for so long. If you are part of a national breed club in the U.S. or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before. And this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part, your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at Trupanion. Welcome, you guys. I am so excited to share your information about this project. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having us, Laura. Appreciate it. Excellent. Okay. Gail, you are the AKC coordinator for this program, correct? Correct. Tell us how this came to be, because this is such an amazingly cool idea. Yeah. Well, as you know, Laura, as breeders, we've faced many challenges and still face many challenges, continuing our right to breed purebred dogs here in the United States. And one of the biggest challenges has been not only the lack of veterinary care, but the lack of understanding of the purebred responsible dog breeder and how we work and operate. And that has led to in some instances, lesser care yes. for breeders to have available to them, or even in emergency situations, outcomes that weren't the desired outcomes. Right. So that has gotten honestly quite frightening to me. I think to many of us, Gail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, it's kind of frightening to think we wouldn't have care when in my past 40 years in dogs, you know, I could have care in the middle of the night. That's simply not available except in specific centers now. But I am a member of Susan's Facebook page for the canine and neonatal issues and challenges. Mm -hmm. And I happened to see a post on there one day about OSU pairing up breeders and students. And I thought to myself, my God, what a wonderful thing. And OSU is the Ohio State University, correct? Correct. Correct. What a wonderful thing to be able to have a genuine, authentic conversation. So because of some of the work I do legislatively in the state of Massachusetts, I had met the new dean at Tufts Veterinary School, who actually came out of British Columbia and animal husbandry 
with large animals and was having conversations with him about legislative issues. So I thought, hmm, this might be something interesting to talk about. Reached out to Susan, who got me in touch with the folks and shared more information from her experience. We put it in front of the dean and he was intrigued. Here's the really interesting thing. He's such a great guy. He said, you know, I have to go see if the students are interested first. Oh, wow. I love the fact that he wants to engage with his constituents to see. Right. And he came back and said, yes, sounds like they're interested. Put a proposal together. So I thought, oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. So there we went. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never taught at a vet school, although my mom often wishes I had gone to vet school. I've never taught at any school. I'm a marketing professional by education and career. And I thought, well, you just sold a program. So now we got to deliver. And I reached out to Susan to help me work on this. And the dean provided us with a professor contact, Dr. Mary Gatlin, who was actually had been a veterinarian of mine in the past. So okay, perfect. it was really interesting. Yeah. So that's how we got going. Now, I think what's so interesting about our program, and Susan, maybe you can add in some of the differences between what we're doing and what OSU is doing, is that this is a four-credit program. Right. So my mom got her wish, Laura, and I'm now teaching at a vet school. (laughs) I love that. And I was able to share the first litter of my own with this group. But I'll let Susan talk to you a little bit about how we kind of morphed from what was happening at OSU. And that was pre-COVID, right, Susan, if I remember? Yeah. Yeah. So we were working with Dr. Erin Runkin at that time Mm -hmm. when I had started this with her and started saying, we need to change the conversation at the vet school level. How do we show vet students who most likely have never whelped a litter, will never do anything but triage, what a responsible breeder does, what their parameters are, how they make their choices, and how do they whelp their puppies. And so the really fun part for us is Gail is a Frenchie breeder, which is your C-section, and I'm sporting dogs with my Labradors and my Gordons, so I'm having puppies in the snow. And so, you know, it gives them both sides. And because both Gail and I have phenomenal relationships with our vets. I work with Dr. Dan Kelleher at Broadview up in New Hampshire, and Gail works with Slade and Tia Fiamingo. We've got great relationships for what we do. We wanted to bring that to the student level. And what happened at Ohio State was probably a blessing in disguise because it stopped right at COVID. And they're kind of waiting, according to Aaron, to see what our results are. And we had three students this time. Unfortunately, all of my girls decided to be waiting. So Gail had our first litter and she had her Frenchies who are freaking adorable. But the students (laughs) got to go see the ultrasound. They got to be at the vet, learn how to count. They were at the C-section. They heard us talking about the hard choices we make and specifically Gail with the Frenchies talking about how she's developed a line that does not have the breathing issues that we 
normally see. And this is something that's achievable, but it's also something that's vilified by the Humane Society. So we're kind of doing in their face what the Humane Society does, which is we are going directly to the students who have some preformed opinions, Mm -hmm. but they have no experience. And we are sharing super transparently all the good, the bad, the ugly, and doing it in a way where we've worked with Dr. Mira Gatlin to develop what they call a selective, which in normal academic terms would be called an elective. Right. But they get to choose. And so this last semester, we had three students. This semester, we'll have five. I have my first litter due on the 15th. So they'll be coming to WELP for that. But the other thing we've done that I think has added tremendously is we've not just focused on these students, but we have opened up our monthly roundtables to all interested vet students. And we have brought in veterinarians. are those virtual roundtables? Or you're doing it in the classroom? We had them in the classroom and we did have a virtual crop and dock just because of timing. So mm-hmm. we've addressed the hard things. Mm-hmm. We've talked about why we don't have a little brown dog and what it takes to produce a puppy that is going to be healthy and why we do the testing, why we make the choices, why temperament and different breeds. And mm-hmm. so they've been able to ask us really hard questions. Mm-hmm. And I think the interaction has been very positive. We've had some people who have talked about wanting to go into shelter medicine, but they don't Mm -hmm. know what shelter medicine is. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of redefining the reality of what we need. And I think they were super surprised. Now, they've not been to my house yet, but they've been to Gail's to see Gail has incubators and oxygen and she is set up as an ICU specifically for Frenchies. But the one thing that we also did was we took them to dog shows and we helped get them involved in the health testing so they could see Mm. all the people with dogs. Okay. Yeah. Gail, go ahead. I was going to say there were some aha moments for us, Laura. Yes. You know, I'll tell you some for me and maybe Susan can share ones for her. The total lack of understanding of what a purebred dog was and how they came to be. Right. And why they came to be. Right. And so one of the first things we have an outline that we created with Dr. Gatlin to make sure we cover subjects that are important to both us. And I would love to know what some of those subjects are. That would be great. Yeah. We can share what things that were important to cover. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the breed standard. Mm -hmm. What is a breed standard and how did it come to be? I do a whole presentation on that. (laughs) I mean, the fact that they didn't know was a real aha for me. Mm -hmm. The other thing I don't feel like they really understood was how we preserve a breed. You know, what is done to preserve a breed? And as I'm sure most everyone here knows, French Bulldogs have been just bombarded with every kind of influence from outside the breed gene pool there could be and it's like a breed being attacked on steroids you know from fluffy to pink it all exists and so you know one of the scary statistics for this breed is last year there were 32,000 Frenchie litters registered with the AKC 294 were parent club members 294 out of 32,000 
Yeah. And since DNA really can't accurately show us exactly what's behind a dog after a few generations of breeding to Frenchies, it looks like it's a purebred Frenchie and we move forward. We have the same problem in pugs. So yeah. And certainly the poodles mm-hmm. have had every kind of. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they had no understanding of that, it was really another aha for me was the health testing process, the orthopedic mm-hmm. foundation of America that it existed. Mm-hmm. What kind of data was there? Right. Who loads that data? Mm-hmm. And that it is a partnership with veterinarians and breeders mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. populates that database right. and how we use it to make improvements. So those things were major ahas for me. The preservation message, however, is one that resonates, Laura. Yes. And I think 100%. that we to really, we don't tell our own story you know, we're kind of invisible. There might be 90,000 of us in Massachusetts playing dog sports, but I find out legislatively many times we're invisible. You know, the fact that we let other people tell our story. And I'm so glad you have this program because it gives us a chance to share the story. Well, and Susan knows how manic I am about this topic. (laughs) Yeah, Laura and I might have a little history. Yeah, it really is. The most important thing that we can do is change the conversation. And I think that these types of programs, I was involved with a program where we were talking to the Oregon State University. Veterinary students brought them to a dog show, gave a presentation, and it's the same type of thing. And I really believe that anything that we as dog fanciers can do within our local veterinary community, if you have a veterinary college near you, reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Okay, y'all. The Indy Winter Classic. Whoop, whoop. It's happening. Indianapolis, Indiana at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, February 2nd to 5th. Specialty shows, Dalmatians, Rottweilers, Dobermans, Malamutes, Poodles, Pomeranians, Shetland Sheepdogs, Field Spaniels, Supported Entries, Specialty Shows, Four Days of All Breed Shows. We've got National Owner Handled Series all four days. We've got Bred By and Puppy Groups. We've got four days of Beginner Puppy. We've got Pee Wee and Itty Bitty Plush Dogs, the cutest, on Saturday the 4th. 40 plus vendors for all of your shopping needs, free electricity, free grooming spaces. We've got eye and cardio clinics, plus paw print genetics and Blue Ridge Veterinary Imaging to complete all your clearances. Ana Frio is the superintendent. Here's the important thing you need to hear. This show closes January 18th. Four open shows, four all-breed shows, four owner-handled series shows, four days of beginner puppy. So I'm just repeating myself because this is pretty amazing. Admission is only $7 for spectators. Military, first responders, and kids under 12 are free. Tell everybody, get your entries in today. Susan, what were some of your thoughts? So one of the things that we thought about and talked about was that they didn't understand that as a breeder, we devote eight weeks of our life. I mean, my life 
Gail's life, we go on hold when we have those puppies. I like. <laughs> exactly. We showed them how to do the early neurostimulation. Mm -hmm. We told them why. We talked mm -hmm. about all the things that it would help them as a vet. When we handle the puppies the way we do, when we give them all the early stimulation, early tactile everything exposing to things it will make their life as a vet easier because these dogs will be easier to handle they won't be as surprised when things mm -hmm. happen and why involving the vet from the beginning so one of the things we set up was what are the pre-breeding checklists that you should do and why genetic testing while important is not the be all end all is simply a matter of risk reduction. And sometimes for breed preservation, we have to make some tough decisions that say, well, we're going to get some carriers and carriers are fine. So we don't want to eliminate this gene or this carried attribute. They will not express it, but what else is attached to it? Right. So we really dug into the science. What was my aha moment was that they were so surprised that as breeders, we were so into this from a science perspective. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just fuzzy puppies selling them on the internet. It was, these are really important. And we then shared our contracts with them. So our contracts state that if for any reason you are unable to care for your dog, mm -hmm. they come back to us and we will keep them or we will rehome them. Right. But we're there. We don't want them to go to shelters. We don't want them to go anywhere else. And it was neat because at the time, I actually had a dog that came back to me after eight years. <laughs> yeah. So they were surprised. Mm -hmm. The owner had died. They contacted me through my microchip because my microchips all are to me as well as to the previous owner. But you can't find an owner who's dead if the dog is wandering on the street. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about how I rehomed them and the things. So that was the aha moment. The other aha moment was if we don't, as breeders, provide them with a solid base of experience during vet school, they will never have the opportunity to whelp a litter. They will never have the opportunity to work with a breeder and to figure out how they want that relationship to work because it goes both ways. We need breeders to be compassionate with their veterinarians because it is a high stress. Everybody wants to save everything and sometimes we just can't. And so we have to be compassionate and we need them to understand how passionate we are about right. the dogs. So it becomes a partnership. And one of the things we talked about in the very beginning is when you have a bad plumber, you go to a different plumber. You don't run the whole profession off the face of the earth. Right. Whereas with breeders, unfortunately, the bad breeders have caused the situation where people are vilifying all breeders, which is unfortunate, and that's not going to help them get their next puppy for Christmas. Well, and Susan, I think the point that you're making right here ties really nicely with the point that Gail made earlier, and that is to our common denominator of challenges, which is that we have lost the conversation. The animal rights, lots of characterizations there, but the people who would like to see us not have dogs at all are the ones who are now in charge of the conversation and have taken the few bad apples and extrapolated them to the entire sport and the entire fancy. 
Correct. And they've actually changed the cachet. I mean, when I was a child, having a purebred dog was, oh, you know, that was like the gold standard to have a purebred dog. I mean, honestly, even if it was from a basket at a farm, but it was a purebred retriever or purebred collie or whatever, but it was a cachet. There was a cachet associated with it. It was considered an elevated animal and an animal that somebody had worked to do something important with. And generally they had jobs as a child, but as we got older, the adopt don't shop message kind of took over. And then the cost of purebred dog breeding, as we all know, skyrocketed and the cost of the dogs had to increase to go with it. And we were vilified for selling, you know, Honestly, I don't even think it's the cost. Think about your fluffy Merle Frenchies going for $35,000. Oh, sure. I truly don't think it's the money, Gail. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to inject here. I really, really do believe it is the combination of the conversation being taken away. That's correct. And the proliferation of people who have found a way to make, quote unquote, easy money with poor breeding programs. That's something that didn't used to exist. And let's not forget some of the original rescues were with the breed clubs. Right. They started the rescue movement with the purebred dogs. Right. But now it's big business. Mm-hmm. They might be billed as not for profit, but not all, but many of the large well-known ones, the $18 a month on TV ones. Mm-hmm. If you look at their charity ratings, you'll see that a lot of the money isn't going to the dogs. Goes to the people. <laughs> right. So the message about, rescue, which in this country, it really isn't a problem. We don't have an overpopulation problem, is a false message, which, you know, so many of them are today, but it kind of goes along with that subject. But you could see the influence, Laura, in the students. 100%. I'll tell you where a couple of very transparent conversations we had. And one was with the professor who kind of had to take over for our original professor who went on a maternity leave. But one of the conversations we had, the questions we get asked by the students is, you know, and this came directly from the professor. So it's the professor's influencing students Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is why can't we just breed a little brown dog? If somebody wants a little brown dog, why can't we just breed a little brown dog? And I think our answer was, and still is, it has nothing to do with breeding the little brown dog. It has to do with breeding the traits that give the homeowner or companion home, the predictability of what they're getting. And as most of the veterinarians will tell you, and even my own family who have rescued dogs from shelters and stuff will say, you know, they get the dog and the next thing you know, they're at the vet. And there's no history. There's no behavior history. There's no support for them. Right. 24 seven tech support. This is one of my things. Susan knows my line, but Gail, that's one of my favorite things when I talk to people when they're buying a puppy, I'm like, listen, you're not just getting this dog, you're getting me. And you are getting lifetime 24-7 tech support. Lifetime. Yep. Right. Susan, kind of as we wrap up a little bit, what was one of your most important takeaways from your interaction with this last semester? And what are you hoping for this next group? So one of my heartwarming takeaways was that We have offered the students the ability to stay in touch with us, Mm -hmm. to stay on a, we have a private internet group that we utilize for this specific course to keep track of things and share info. 
is they want to stay. They want to participate. They want to see what we're doing. And we've offered them the ability, again, 24-7 tech support. Baby puppies, baby veterinarians. They all need exactly. <laughs> But it made me feel like we had dropped the first pebble in the pond. We have to change the conversation, but we're not changing it for ulterior motives other than we want there to be a better relationship. We want to support the veterinarians. It's kind of like going to an auto mechanic and you've never seen a car before. We want them to see us, what we do, how we do it. And it was very interesting. Dr. Kelleher came and did a one-hour lunchtime presentation and was telling them that he has a purebred dog. His grandparents had Gordon Setters, but he has a Doberman. And I watched their jaws drop when he said he did bite work with it. And they're like, what? So there are many things that you do with dogs, whether it's with a companion dog like a Frenchie, a hunting dog like mine. My dachshund goes to ground in my backyard, though. We got to get him on a trail. But, you know, there's a lot of things that they didn't realize that we were able to open doors for. Mm -hmm. And the hope is to change the conversation in a personal level, because they also heard stories from breeders of being literally attacked Mm -hmm. by the animal rights people. Mm -hmm. And... They had never heard that there was the violence. They'd never heard there was the intimidation. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that made a difference to help change the conversation. But we wanted to emphasize that we were part of a team, that the vet and the breeder needed to be a team. And I think that's been my goal, as you know, all along, is to change the conversation, do the education, be transparent, but say, we don't know everything, but we sure know a lot about our dogs. Well, and I think that conversation, and you and I, Susan, had this conversation many times. Yes. I think maybe, Gail, you could wrap up for us with talking about going forward and any tips that you would have for people who would like to create something like this in their area. So the AKC has been unbelievably supportive of us with resources and funds, and even the vice president of sports services participates in our program. She also has responsibility for university relations and has relations with every vet school in the United States. Mm -hmm. So if people are interested, and we have had people come forward, obviously it's a very local program. So what we could really use to nationalize it is for responsible breeders to come forward, people who are legitimate, do things the right way, have their licenses, get their health testing to come together and offer something similar in their program. And our pilot team has been willing to be the advisor, counselor, and provide all the materials that we use so that it's not so hard. Perfect. And Mayor Beth O'Neill, the VP of Sports Services, is willing to facilitate conversations with the vet schools with which she has relations. So, you know, I happen to have a relationship with this vet school, but even if you don't have it, please reach out because we'll help you between Susan, myself, and Mayor Beth. We will find the resources for you to get your program started and off the ground. 
Absolutely. And Maribeth has been a huge champion of this type of thing. I worked with her, the group of us that did the presentation out here worked with Maribeth. And I know she's coming out to continue that conversation with OSU next month. Great. Yeah. I think this is really valuable. Anybody who lives anywhere near any kind of veterinary school, see what you can do. None of us is an expert veterinarian, but we are experts in our field. And owning that position, owning the position of subject matter expert. And I think, Gail, you work in legislation. Every time I talk to Patty Strand, be the subject matter expert in this area. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to stop playing defense and start playing offense. And, you know, I'm a big football fan and I know OSU, that is a big football school. So I'm just saying is when I first started doing legislation, my initial takeaway from it was we're always on defense. Yeah. And these are the kinds of things that move us into the offensive position and position us as the subject matter experts. Yeah. And we see that now in Massachusetts where we're in a really pretty good position with at least our house. So that allows us to have input. And in fact, we're getting ready to file our first bill. Awesome. Our own bill that we've created. And it's a conversation that needs to happen. These are the steps that happen. And I think we made a huge leap forward with the vet school. 100%. And I think the biggest takeaway from me is that Gail and I and Mary Beth and, of course, Stacey Ober, who also helped us, we are willing to help seed other programs mm-hmm. and the structure, even if it means coming out and helping you set up whatever you need, give us a holler because we've got to change the conversation. 100%. Thank you for giving us the platform. I've been begging to give you this platform. <laughs> Hey, we're doing the best we can. I know. I know. We're all, it's crazy time. This is amazing. Ladies, thank you so very much. Listeners, we will make sure to have contact information and any kind of outline that we can make available from this program that we could share forward. So happy new year and let's change that conversation, shall we? Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. 
Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.